Wonder Things Studios proudly presents Archivos Brainstorms, episode 120. You've tuned into the Archivos Podcast Network. I'm Marie Bilodeau. And I'm Dave Robison. And you're listening to Archivos Brainstorms. Yes. We need to have a reverb there. Archivos, archivos, brainstorm, arm, 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 arm. <laughs> On Archivos Brainstorms, we invite writers to come onto the show to pitch a story idea to us and our esteemed guest host. And then we dive in or fly up looking for that strange technology, that magic of writing, bounding from airship to airship and steaming that punk, chasing the story down the great timeless pursuit of creating literary gold. Literary gold. Steaming that punk. (laughs) And and see, my brain instantly goes to a dry cleaners and putting some guy with like metal in his face in one of those pressers. You are steamed, punk. (laughs) Samuel L. Jackson voice, though, like you just own it. Yeah, that's right. That's right. (laughs) Marie, it has been far too long since you have graced us with your very unique presence here in the Archivos (laughs) Podcast Network. And ma'am, you have been missed. Thank you so much uh, for for being my wing person in this steamed punk (laughs) exploration coming ahead ma'am oh thank you for having me i have missed this i always do we have so much fun so this is good for the soul it truly is it truly is and speaking of good for the soul do let's bring back uh our guest host because wow the archivos insights of seven days ago was certainly good for my soul and i'm sure it was good for y'all's soul as well that was not only great fun but fraught with writerly goodness so let's do bring her back uh dear friends back into the big comfy chair here at the Archivos Podcast Network, Robin Bennis. Uh, Robin, I'm, I'm, I'm still agog. And of course, we just recorded it 10 minutes ago. And so, of course, I'm still agog. I know. I told you oh, the lie. Of the lie. Kayfabe. I gave it away, the lie of podcasting. I had a whole about President Pence. And, you know, you didn't, uh, you just ruined it all. I know. I know. <laughs> I know, and I just honesty, you know, brutal, brutal honesty. I, I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to hack our listeners. <laughs> Any un, unscrupulous, anyway. Gentle listener, a, you've been lied to, but we're going to tell you the truth now. That's right. That's right. Exactly. I am on the same cup of coffee that I was drinking last week. <laughs> it's really cold and moldy, though. So yes, it's been yeah. a week. <laughs> There's podcast truth and there's objective truth, and we are living the podcast truth right now. Robin, that was an incredible conversation, but honestly, I'm I'm deeply looking forward to to jetting into the 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 brainstorming arena with you, ma'am. Thank you so much for making the time. Thank you. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, All in service to better storytelling around the world. Uh, But before we get into that, Robin, you've got a fabulous book that was released last May. Another book, uh, a se- the sequel to uh, uh, Guns Above, coming out this May, hopefully crossed fingers. Um, so I'm curious, what, what, what else is coming up in your world? Not a damn thing. Uh, 
So this whole professional writer thing kind of caught me off guard, in all honesty. So I, right now, I have nothing that is officially due out, uh, except for By Fire Above, which is, I believe, currently scheduled for May 15th. Uh, you Put mentioned that. Amazon That's, anyway. Yep. Yes, that is the, and it's, you know, here, here's <laughs> another look behind the curtain. That's how the writer found out about it, too. Uh, <laughs> the author found out when it was coming out on Amazon. Uh, you'd be amazed how often that happens. That is so wrong. <laughs> it, it is, but, you know, that's the publishing industry. You know, I, I guess it is non-essential information, right? Yeah. I, uh, yeah, you know, the totally. people who need to know, know, and that's what's important. <laughs> well, and, and I remember reading that you've got uh, an extensive outline of future books. I do. Uh, I have uh, many more books planned in the uh, Signal Airship series, and that is going to depend on the readers. Uh, if, uh, if you guys pick up this book and you enjoy it and you recommend it to your friends, there will be more. And if you don't, well, you're out of luck. Yeah. So get out there and, <laughs> and promote me. Yes. And, and honestly, you know, in, in those reviews, Noel Coward and, and Tolstoy have been invoked as comparisons. I uh, know, on, right? Isn't that crazy? <laughs> awesome. <laughs> but, you know, and I, and I totally get the, well, I'll let you decide if they're right or not, but still, that's got to be a rush. Tolstoy had fewer fart jokes, I feel, <laughs> but uh, apart from that, yeah, yeah, yeah. spot well, on. We'll, we'll need, and there's another metric that we need to gauge, the, the, the ratio of fart jokes to, to literary relevance. <laughs> <laughs> forward. <laughs> what about conventions, Robin? Do you do the, the, the convention circuit at all? I uh, did the convention circuit a lot in 2017. I'm uh, on a little bit of a reduced schedule in 2018. I will be at Worldcon and should be at GenCon. Uh, awesome. The writer symposium track in, at Gen Con, August 2nd to the 5th uh, of this year. And I am really looking forward to that. Uh, we're going to do some neural hacking. <laughs> Drop <laughs> on by. Absolutely. And and Archivos is going to be a sponsor of uh, the, the Gen Con uh, writer symposium. Woo! Uh, so, so I'll actually, I'll see you there. <laughs> yes! Uh, and I'll see you in Worldcon. You won't just be a disembodied voice with a... Uh, <laughs> Gentle listener, uh, you may not realize this, but when I, I'm standing, I'm sitting in front of my computer in the comfy chair right now, and Dave uh, is a picture that comes up in my Google Hangouts, and he looks, imagine like Walter White crossed with God himself. And that is the picture that comes up on my screen when he's speaking. And I just feel awe and reverence every time he opens his mouth. Uh, it will be nice to actually see that in person. <laughs> and, <laughs> Remember to bring sunglasses because the glow is a lot to take. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God. Yes. Awesome. Okay. Oh, we, we, <laughs> I, I will see you at Gen Con. I will also see you at Worldcon. So we're going to get sick of each other. Before we are going to party. Oh, that's true. There's, the, there's going to be that as well. Awesome. Well, I will make sure that, that all of that deliciousness gets into the liner notes along with links to your website, uh, uh, your Twitter, your Facebook, so people can can discover more about you as, as the world unfolds. Um, Marie, I know we just spoke a week ago, but, but what, uh, uh, what is what is going on in your world right now? You've had some awesomeness unfolding in the past. What's what's the future looking like? 
Uh, the future's the future's looking pretty decent, I gotta say. Uh, <laughs> I've got on the performance side, I've got um, a tiny performance in Ottawa, but that's going to be a lot of fun. It's going to be about the stars, so I'm going to be telling stories with Nicole Laving on uh, on on basically the stars. I kept the the uh, definition very very open because I didn't want to <laughs> like lock myself in. But right now, I think I'll be telling a story of Galileo, so that Ooh. should be good. And his daughter and all of that that beautiful relationship with the letters and all that so yes i'm going to target that uh that's on march 27th in the tea party in ottawa and on the publishing side you know i don't have anything set right now to come out my uh eye of glass just came out as a paperback in china by sf world so yeah if you're there pick up a coffee send it to me um (laughs) we we have we have readers listeners in china absolutely so beautiful great hi china i love you um <laughs> and then the only thing I have on the books right now coming out for 2018 is in December, and it's in Julie Chernada's Tales of Plexus coming yes. out in, from Daw Book. So that's the only thing I have a short story in that Outstanding. so far. Still, and and yeah. you know, I I am sure that as the weeks and months of 2018 unfold, that narrative is going to change dramatically. Because I know you, Marie. <laughs> you, you you are you are not gathering moss, you Rolling Stone. You're gonna be you're gonna be kicking somebody's butt. <laughs> And and getting into another anthology, getting a book deal, what have you. So I'm doing a lot of shadow work right now, and I can't speak of shadow, shadow work. work today. Yeah, also wet work. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's our Marie. Awesome, very cool. Well, still, I will make sure that gets into the liner notes as well. Um, Guys, what I'd like to do right now is just pause for a brief moment and give some podcast airtime to our sponsor, Archivos, the story development and presentation tool for today's storytellers. But when we get back, Robin, Marie, I would love to brainstorm a story with you. What do you say? I am all for it. Let's do it. Bam. We have an accord. Already I can hear the the hissing of the fuse as it slides towards the stack of dynamite. It's going to be explosively fabulous. Friends, don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Archivos, the new story development application from WonderThing Studios, will change the way you look at stories. Archivos takes a different approach to documenting your story setting. While most wikis and storytelling frameworks focus on documenting the elements of your stories, Archivos is more interested in the connections between those story elements. It's the relationships between characters and places and events that express the true structure and allure of your stories. As a storyteller, that's the awareness you need to strengthen and refine the crafting of your stories. Archivos really is the story development tool for today's storytellers. Learn more about Archivos at www.archivos.digital. That's A-R-C-H-I-V-O-S dot digital. Archivos, your stories illuminated. Welcome back, dear friends, and now we get down to the business at hand. The reason why you're here, and certainly the reason why we're here, the story brainstorm. And that does not happen without a bold and courageous, a creative and courageous guest writer striding boldly towards the... (laughs) 
regrettably slightly less comfortable writer's chair here <laughs> in the Archivos Podcast Network studios. Uh, and dear friends, our guest writer for this episode is a true lover of words. As a kid, he always had a paperback in his pocket and climbed trees during recess simply to be able to read in peace. Dude, I can relate. Tolkien was his gateway drug into fantasy, and once he was hooked, he quite literally climbed his father's bookshelf in order to discover the wonders of Moorcock and Donaldson, and then on to Asimov, Wells, and a plethora of other authors who warped his imagination into strange and twisted directions. He's been writing since he was about five, has already been published in his grade school newsletter, uh, and is keen to experience that rush again on a much grander scale. He keeps getting asked what genres he prefers in fiction. His usual response is, yes. <laughs> Dear friends, please welcome to the writer's chair here in the Archivos Podcast Network Studios, Christopher Michael. Christopher, dude, we have been chums on the Book of Faces for a while now and on the Twitters. Uh, it fills me with great delight and joy to have you finally on the show. And I totally respect the fact that pitching your story even to such a compassionate uh, uh, and non-stabby group as you have assembled here is never an easy thing. Uh, so much gratitude. We're and not allowed to stab. No stabbing. That... No, no poking. No, no, no deep, I... deep wounds. No deep wounds. Okay. <laughs> well, I did a lot of preparation for, for nothing. Then. So set aside yeah. the big knives. We'll just go with the small surgical. All right. <laughs> I, I do have to ask about the handcuffs and the spikes on the chair, though. That yeah. seems a little much. That's actually from last week. Uh, uh, I, I apologize. <laughs> I apologize. That, that was one of those reluctant guest writers that really wasn't in break, picking up what we were laying down. And it required a much more assertive brainstorming technique that, uh, don't worry about that. Don't worry about that. You'll be fine. Just remember the safe word, Christopher. That's, you'll, you'll be okay. Yeah, someone forgot to send that to me. Oh, oh. you'll be fine. I'll, I'll email that to you. I'll email that to you. But first, oh, tell yeah. me, did, did it require pitons and, and like rope to climb your father's bookshelf? Um, actually, no, I was kind of nicknamed spider monkey as a child because I, <laughs> I would climb pretty much everything. Wow. And once I realized that my dad kept the uh, slightly more adult science fiction and fantasy on the higher shelves, <laughs> it, that was all the persuasion I needed. I have so much respect for that. <laughs> I really do. It's yes. like Narnia. Narnia was awesome, but I blazed through that pretty quickly. And Tolkien was awesome, but I blazed through that pretty quickly. And there are these really cool looking titles and covers on the top shelf. I wonder if I can get that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, dive into the Chronicles of Thomas Covenant and experience the true anti-hero for the first time. Holy yeah. crap. Yes, awesome. Very cool. Well, all right, Spider Monkey. Uh, let's let's dive into these brains. That's it, man. You are now Spider Monkey in my brain. And I can see you as a monkey in a Spider-Man suit is how I'm rocking that. <laughs> So, I have been called that's worse. Horrible. That's a great pseudonym. It, yeah, it truly brilliant. is. And and from a literary standpoint, you know, it's graceful. It's it's uh -huh. playful but dangerous. And sometimes you fling poo, which is also, <laughs> you know, what a writer needs to do sometimes. <laughs> I need more coffee. <laughs> now I'm worried. Maybe we should time down now. <laughs> no. no. No, no, I will soldier on. I will soldier on. Christopher, <laughs> let's get into this, brother. Um, you know how this works. We give you five to eight minutes. 
uh, uh, give us the the title, the genre, your target audience. Uh, give us a tagline to sort of set the stage. Introduce us to any themes you have, if you have any. That you don't always. Uh, introduce us to the world, the the primary characters. Walk us through the tent poles of the story itself, and we will be off to the brainstorming races. Uh, I'm I'm getting out of the way, brother. The mic is all yours. Alrighty, so just to start with, I fully expect names and titles and everything to change from now until the time I actually write this. But right now I'm working with the title Broken Wings. It's a, a steampunk sci-fi blend, possibly going to have some fantasy elements as I develop it. Um, it's an introduction novel to my universe, possibly a trilogy. But I expect multiple potential stories to spin out of this universe. Um, definitely going to be an adult story. I fiddled with young adult and it's just not going that direction. Hmm. Um, the tagline I've got right now is the young captain of the morning star searches for a missing friend and crew member. That search leads to uncovering a disturbing reality where she must make an impossible choice with the future of humanity in the balance. Um, honestly, I'm a discovery writer, so I don't have a stinking clue about the theme. <laughs> um, but my world, it's a far future earth that has been reduced to a Victorian era steampunk tech. Um, this will include airships, clockwork replacement limbs, and possibly automatons. Although biases based on gender, race, and sexual identity do not exist in this world, there are institutional biases against what I've called cogs or the automatons and those with clockwork limbs and wastelanders. This planet is run unknowingly to the populace from a sky island known as Atlantis. This island is run by the Makaj, a reptiloid race who desires to see humanity evolve and become more than they have been in the past, and the Alim, a winged race of humanoids who desire to see humanity destroyed for the sins that caused this occupation. There are shields which enforce the law around the world, doling out what punishment is needed, and there are also people around that I have nicknamed crazies, who have ESP abilities that allow them to see through the psionic cloaking technology of the aliens. As for my characters, I've got Harlequin Matei, an orphaned citizen of Aura, as the central protagonist. In her past, she was an urchin and the Fagan, or leader, of a street gang of thieves. At the time, she was befriended by a newspaperman who forged documents indicating she had graduated from the academy. Now, thanks to those documents and her charismatic personality, she captains the independent merchant airship Morningstar. The young woman with dark skin and silver hair, which she regularly dyes in streaks of different colors, has never lost the wiry frame, frame gained from her formative years. Although she is a skilled engineer, thanks to the training from the master mechanic Phineas Finn Wells, whom she befriended on the ship, her true strength is her natural charisma and her willingness to partner with her crew in order to get things done, a task achieved primarily by ensuring that the proper people are in the proper places to achieve the desired outcome. She loves nothing more than standing on her deck, feeling it shift under her feet and the wind bite into her cheek. And to continue that feeling, the freedom of life is the entirety of her desire. Her only true fear is that her past will be discovered and she will be outlawed, meaning an inability to ply her chosen trade. Alsarath, a barely post-adolescent member of the Alim, is the primary antagonist, though largely hidden at the beginning. She's not the sort to simply hold grudges. She feeds them and calls them pet names. <laughs> she <per> <laughs> She personally blames humanity for her posting to a hidden observatory in the back end of the universe. She desperately wants to have her hands free to exterminate the humans and get back to civilization. Her fear, given her young age, only just into her fifth century, which is young for this race, is that she'll screw up and something major will happen on her watch. 
Then I have Isabella, nearly six feet of boiling rage, as my secondary protagonist, although she may be the most visible. She's the dark mirror to Harlequin. She's the only daughter of a shipping magnate and attended Academy with his blessing. Only after her graduation did he inform her of his intent to stop her from attaining a berth on an airship. He wanted her to take over his business. They fought. During that fight, her constantly present temper grew into a rage that exploded in murderous fury. After she killed her father, she became a pirate. As she worked her way into the self-titled Pirate Queen, she ensured her first targets were from her father's fleet. She has grown to love the life she leads, the bite of the wind, the cut of the sword, and the collection of the prize. Even after all that, she still has a deep desire to prove to everybody, her deceased father most of all, that she can make it her way. Her only real fear, aside from the mutiny she keeps at bay through success and fear, is being cast to the ground and apprehended by shields. So after all that, I've got my story, which is much shorter because of the whole Discovery Rider issue. Finn has disappeared, something Harlequin only realizes once the ship is prepping for departure. This is my entrance point into the story. Um, during the first third of the story, the search, it'll be discovered that he is not the first to disappear. Harlequin will encounter things that don't make sense, rumors and hints of the deeper and darker secrets of the world around her. Some crazies will be talking to her about winged demons, which will be the most, which will be the least nonsensical, nonsensical thing she encounters. This section will hinge on her discovery that her past, a mother she barely remembers and a father she doesn't at all, is in, intimately tied to these secrets. Um, during the second third, fall from grace. Due to Harlequin's pursuit of the truth, Elsarath will ensure the truth of how she achieved her position comes to light. She will be outlawed. Isabella will be an active menace to Harlequin during this cycle, as she has no interest in someone who can actually rival her. Although this will enable her to operate in a manner a quote-unquote legal captain could not, it also makes her an active target for the shields and any bounty hunter on the planet. She does uncover information indicating that some of the conspiracy theories she has heard may be closer to the truth than she expected. She will learn that Atlantis, a name she remembers primarily from ghost stories the urchins would tell, is real. And then my final third decisions. Harlequin and the crew of the Morningstar who choose to remain will find the information that leads them to Atlantis. At the end, they will be faced with a choice. Either they reveal the entire history of the planet, both the invasion and the horrific reason for it, and thus free humanity to evolve naturally. Or they bury that truth and let the planet remain on the course that it now is. First choice means they remain outlawed. Second means they can be reintegrated into, into society. That is, of course, if they can stop Elsarath from managing to destroy the entire planet. Bam. And that's it. Sweet. Awesome. Nice. Excellent pitch, sir. <laughs> Christopher, that what is do you, great. That is. It's uh, many <laughs> much story goodness there. What are you hoping to get out of the next half hour or so of brainstorming we're going to dive into, bud? I guess one of the things I want is, to be honest, I'm a white, straight male. I have a black female protagonist of indeterminate sexuality. I would kind of like to have her be a person as opposed to sort of a stereotype. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's a good also, first step. Yeah, I would, <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> I would also like to flesh out Isabella a little bit and then just any anything y'all can give me. Awesome. Well, I, I, I'm, I'm speaking as a, as a prescient prognosticator of what is to come. I think you're going to get plenty of that. Uh, I think, I think we've got that uh, commodity covered, dude. Um, but before we dive into that, we, we must cover our butts, as it were. Uh, uh, Marie, would you be so kind? Yes, certainly. Now, Christopher, 
You're about to experience a veritable deluge of ideas, insights, and inspirations. It's important that you realize that everything said from this point forward by myself, Dave, or Robin might be complete fuchsia doodle hornswaggle. This is a PG rating. It's doing me in. This is your story, Christopher, and you decide what to use and what to cast aside. Now, is that clear? Yeah, that's actually very clear. Other than the whole fuchsia doodle thing. Kind of thing. Yeah, I'm 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 a little uh, un- uncertain on the fuchsia doodle myself. We, we all are. I have yeah. a lot of hornswaggle here. I prepared with hornswaggle, but I, I missed the fuchsia doodle memo. Yeah. I'll, I'll send you guys a, a drawing. Don't worry okay. about it. There we go. It's, there it's, we it's, go. it's good. And, and, and really, it's, it's it's a subset of hornswaggle that we choose oh, okay. to engage with. It's like a uh, cladistics thing. I yeah, got it. your research yeah. isn't very deep into the topic, but. I I'm here for you guys. It's okay. No, it's I, all no. hooshadoodles are hornswoggles, but not all hornswoggles are hooshadoodles. Is, is, is that what cladistics is? Because I don't know what that is. Yeah, it is. Okay, good. Cool. Okay. Context for that the is win. That is the billion explanation of cladistics. I would, uh, I, I would need advanced computing power to go deeper uh, into it. Yeah, no. And none of us have that at this point. So let's 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 take our hard drive cycles and focus it forward. Um, we always start as we dive into these things with a quick once around the table uh, uh, to get some top level observations and opinions and also ask some questions of clarification Uh, and we always start with our guest host so Robin Bennis please start us off what were your first impressions of Christopher's story and and what questions if any do you have of clarification so my very first impression is extremely positive and it is that you are great at making characters Yes, And this is not always a given with writers. Uh, it is perhaps the most important thing that you can, most important skill that you can master as a writer. And you have a great head start there. You understand uh, how to make a character who has natural hooks on which to hang your conflict. You understand how to balance your character so that they actually have to face challenges in the world. You, you have a great starting point here for characters who have their own agency, who are not just being pushed around uh, by the plot and who are neither uh, so in charge of things that they command the plot and you don't really, and the reader doesn't feel tension. You have managed to balance that very well from what I can see. Nice. Uh, and that is no easy thing. Uh, so my hat is off to you there. Excellent. And, you know, essentially, apart from that, I kind of have some of the same notes that you uh, were asking about. Uh, I think you should, you know, walk a little carefully and uh, do your homework, get your receipts uh, <laughs> as you as you engage in this. And, you know, as for fleshing out Isabella and the other characters, I think you've got a great start jumping off point for that. Yeah. And and I think I think we can explore that even more deeply in the actual brainstorm proper. Uh, yes. I'm, I'm sure you have some insights and guidelines for for how to how to expand and deepen Harlequin uh, and and Isabella. So. I certainly do. Maybe no good ones, nah, but yeah, well, <laughs> yeah, we, we'll we don't ascribe on value judgments on the yeah. <laughs> stuff that the fusion doodle hornswoggle we throw out here. <laughs> I, I do have a couple questions. Mm-hmm. Uh, what is your target word count? Mm. I honestly, um, 
I was looking at about 60K when I was considering young adult, but this is moved into adult territory. I've already written 5,000. I'm not even out of the first chapter yet, so I'm <laughs> guessing 80 to 100. And I'm guessing you are going to exceed that. <laughs> yeah. I'm guessing uh, there's I'm considering multiple, a trilogy. There's multiple yeah. books in this story, I think. There really are. You have so much going on here. Uh, you have multiple uh, factions. And that brings me to my next question. How many points of view, how many of these characters have their own point of view Good question. Uh, in the story? As of right now, I'm considering close third on Harlequin. Okay, and so essentially, you know, Alcereth and, and Phineas and Isabel, we would experience them through her. Yes. Okay. Um, that makes your, your word target a little easier, uh, definitely. Anything with multiple points of view just seems to balloon. You still have a lot of gears turning here, uh, and I am no nervous... Intended. Yeah, <laughs> um, I am. So, and uh, so that actually brings me organically into my next question, although you, it may not seem organic at first. What is your background as far as writing novels? Is this your first novel? Uh, this is going to be the first one I have attempted to publish. I have a couple sitting in the trunk and a couple in various folders. And I've, I mean, I've written fan fiction, but this will be my first attempted a published novel so you've completed novels before though yes okay so you have you know so you have some experience with this you I do have practice words out there <laughs> yeah you and you yeah <laughs> and you kind of have an idea where your word count ends up compared to where you started uh, it usually goes well over what i consider. yeah <laughs> um that gets easier as you write more but you're all it always every writer always either underestimates or overestimates their word count in my experience um and they never seem to learn <laughs> nor should they why, why be concerned yeah, nor should they. artificial restraints tosh yeah um okay uh cool. i think i have what i need to start giving crappy ideas to <laughs> excellent good we're queued up for that marie uh what about you what, what's it going to take for you to, to throw out some some hornswoggle <laughs> um so i agree with uh, everything robin said very good mm -hmm. um and i agree that you have some really strong characters you can already kind of get the there's totally an English expression here that's not coming to my mind, but you can already get a feel for them. <laughs> Insert vague English expression here. Yeah. Okay. You know, just grab something from the internet and throw it in there. It'll be great. Um, so one of the th questions I had, and I think it affects how I view Harlequin as a character, is you mentioned at some point that um, something about her parents that explain why she was where she was. Um, or did I make that up in my head? It's, uh, I mentioned that when I was talking about the first third, it'll be, she'll discover that her past, the mother she doesn't, she barely remembers father she doesn't at all is intimately tied to the secrets of the world. I don't at this point know if the parent, I think the father is definitely dead. I don't know if the mo mother is dead or just not able to be with her. Okay. Um, here's just a, a, an idea for you to 
consider. Um, thank you for mentioning that, but I'm just going to throw this out there in case we don't go at all with Darren or brainstorming. Uh, having a character who has her own agency and is not at all part of the chosen one cliche, if you will, is a different thing than having a character who starts off with agency and then continues on a quest because she is the chosen one or is so linked with it by blood or by family history that she cannot break away. So okay. choosing to go forward and being forced to go forward by those thoughts give a different... They're not, they're, I'm not saying go one for the other. I, I do think the chosen one is a little bit overdone at times. That's my own personal opinion. Yeah, but keep that in mind. To avoid that. Yeah, go, go with it as you move forward. Because um, Harlequin to me starts off as a very strong, self-sustaining, self-motivating character, which I really like that. it's uh, To me, it's very appealing and it's, it's not done enough. So just keep that in mind as you go forward. I'm not saying that by having her parents intricately tied to the history of the world or how it works will definitely go towards that cliche, but be aware of it as you go forward. And the, the rest, uh, Robin has already very adequately covered. So I'm looking forward to this brainstorm. Oh, adequately? <laughs> adequately, yeah. And you know, that's good because you know what I'm usually saying is like, yeah, that was terrible, their questions. But <laughs> She's like, you said Hornswigel and you're saying adequate of me? <laughs> okay. I'm glad we're grading on a curve here. <laughs> Nice, Billo. But nice, Billo. Thank you. Thank you so much. Hey, she did hang up like that last guest writer. We're doing good. We're not thinking hosts. We're doing good. Thicker We're skin. Good. We're getting thicker skinned guest hosts. Good. Oh, good. Um, Christopher, yeah, I, I will echo everything that's been said here. This is a, a you've got a lot of good story hooks built in here uh there's a lot of fun to explore i especially and again world builder you know this about me christopher uh the mm -hmm. notion of a far future earth that has been bombed back into steampunk level tech just makes my brain explode just a little um the notion of adapting you know we, we steampunk as a genre has the tropes and, and you're pulling on many of them um, I, I would love to see you tweak those tropes just a little bit. Uh, uh, and if there are automatons, maybe incorporate some AI uh, schematics, some of that distant past Earth that I know you have done backstory on and, and know a great <laughs> deal about. Uh, maybe teasing the reader, you know, hacking their brain with curiosity about that. Not so much as like, oh my God, you didn't tell me about the past earth. I, I hate you forever, but enough to lay the foundation for maybe some collateral works or other books in the series. Uh, plus I just think it would be fun to hack steampunk a little bit with some contemporary tech. Uh, so that's, that was my one first thought. Um, I agree. I love Harlequin. I love Harlequin a lot. I like what you're doing with her. I almost love her too much. She's almost she's almost a Mary Sue. She has no patriarchy okay. to deal with. She has, you know, she loves what she does. She's an engineer, but she also has great charisma and she loves to partner with her crew. She's perfect, which sets up a flag. Uh, I think I think we need to we need to put a crack in the in that wonderful wonderful character uh, armor that you've wrapped her in, uh, and maybe find uh, uh, something about her uh, that you know temper is way too easy. I, I'm not even suggesting that, but something that will stand in her way, something she must overcome in herself that will then allow her to succeed in the final adventure whatever that ends up being does that make sense 
Absolutely. I was actually thinking about that. It's one of the reasons I wanted the secret about the parents to be involved because I okay. think that's going to be part of the crack. Okay. Um, Although, I, if I can jump in, yeah. I don't know if that's allowed. Yes, absolutely. Um, are, are we on like Robert's Rules of Order here? No, <laughs> no, it's, no, it's, no. It's, it's perfectly adequate for you to jump in, uh, Robin, so by all means. So the term cliche gets bandied about a lot, and I don't like that. Um, I don't like when people use it, but the dark past thing is a real cliche. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. that's I it, as as far as you know cracks in plot armor go. I would not go with that one. Um, I would go with uh, a present and tension building, uh, tangible. Uh, crack in the plot armor that is, you know, affecting her throughout the story, not just some dark thing in the past that haunts her. I actually have some ideas about okay. that, but I can I can save that for uh, uh, for the actual brainstorm. But yeah, ex- I, I agree, uh, uh, and and that's actually leads to another observation that you know all of these characters have strong motivations, but their I think their first blush motivations. Uh, uh, Osirith blames humanity for his, her, it's posting out here and, and just wants it all, all ended and, and over with um, resonates very strongly with the whole agent Smith vibe. Uh, and yeah. I was thinking battlefield earth, which is not <laughs> as great a comparison, but no, still not. totally, totally legit and relevant. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I honestly did not like uh, that particular character background. Yeah. I think, okay. we, I think we need to uh, make that a more intimate uh, 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 connection because I like having I mean the Elim already hate humanity uh, so all Osirith then becomes is the the outward expression of an entire race uh, if we can personalize that a little bit and and make Osirith's loathing and, and despising of humanity maybe narrowed to a segment of society or something I don't know uh, uh, but that's just a flag that came up for me um, when you were describing Isabella you listed her as a protag was that a slip of the tongue that was a that was a slip of the tongue I meant antag I I'm going to say actually that may have been a providential slip of the tongue <laughs> yes uh, I think <laughs> Isabella is primed to be a conflict character for Harlequin uh, uh, the same way Bernat is a conflict character for Josette in in mm-hmm. Robin's books, uh, and, and and she can be there. You know, she can be that personal face of of the conflict, which yeah. Elsgareth Al- can't really give in her placement in the story. Yep. Okay. Love yep. that. Agreed. Agreed. Um, okay. And now into the story bits. Just uh, and, and I understand, Discovery writer, you may not know the answer, but how do you see their per parents being intimately tied to whatever's going on? Do you have any whiff of an idea of what you're thinking? Partially. Okay. And and why um, about- is Finn? Why is Finn kidnapped? What's that? What's going on with that? Um, Finn. Sorry, I should have gone into that a little more detail. Finn is curious. And he likes to push the boundaries of what we know and figure out how to go farther. Typical engineer. Okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And the, um, especially the Eileen, but the citizens of Atlantis in general want to keep us at this level. So we don't go back into space. Okay. So anybody that's trying to push past these boundaries vanishes. Oh, I do like that. I like that. that is, that's kind of a fresh take. Yeah. yeah that's yeah. fun. Sweet. Awesome. Um, I will, I will, uh, uh, point out that the middle section of the book seems to have very little to do with going forward in terms of finding Finn and, and Harlequin's, uh, uh, 
moving the story forward and more to do with Harlequin's problems with her past and problems with the the the, the government, which is not a bad thing, uh, but just it was just something that I noticed there wasn't a lot of story advancement going on there. Um, and I love I love the final result of reveal the truth about Atlantis or not. Uh, and I think we can I think we can actually expand on that uh, uh, and make it a much more uh, catastrophic uh, uh, questions with chainsaws kind of thing uh, <laughs> where you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't. You're going to be damned. But, you know, yeah, we can explore that. So holy mm-hmm. crap, Christopher. Awesome stuff. Um, Robin, where do you, where do we start with all of this? So much to dive into. Um, yeah, yeah, there really is. And I'm almost not sure where uh, to start. Uh, let, let me start with something, another very positive note. Um, and, and, and just as a stepping back a bit to generalities about critique, um, authors, you know, authors tend to be sensitive. Uh, we tend to hear the bad stuff and forget the good stuff when we're deciding whether to continue with projects. This is a great project, yes. um, and you should continue with it. Do not let the sh- uh, the <clears throat> the crap uh, I'm about to say uh, dissuade you from this because I feel like you have a winner in here. Mm-hmm. Um, this, especially given uh, your background as someone who has done a few uh, quotation marks practice novels, um, I feel like this has real potential as a sale. This has a great hook. It has a plot that is both intricate and can be summarized in a way that is uh, nice and short, and, and agents love that, of course. Yeah. So you have a very sellable book here. So please, please continue with this project because it's great. Yes. Um, that's just a generality. Every writer should 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 know that when they hear critique. But mm-hmm. you particularly, um, you have real potential here. So I am seeing shades of Last Exile in this book. Is uh, do you know what that is, and is that an influence? Was that an influence? At least off the top of my head, no, I don't. Oh, okay. So, uh, Last Exhale is an anime, uh, which is fantastic. And, you know, it's just kind of the, uh, I, I, I think it's sort of the zeitgeist uh, tends to steer writers towards uh, stories even when they haven't heard of them before. And it has c- kind of the same themes of discovering a wider world kind of overlord characters who dominate the world and are trying to keep the the people down. The theme that you said you weren't really sure of the themes, but you have some really great ones here. The idea that curiosity and knowledge are dangerous to the system. (laughs) That is a fantastic theme, especially for 2018 or 2022. By the time this actually gets through the (laughs) publishing process, it takes a while. So that is fantastic. And I would try to build on those themes very much. This idea that knowledge is dangerous. Uh, people who ask too many questions are dangerous. Yeah. Finn is dangerous. That is a great hook. And you've got it right in your first chapter, presumably, which you've, uh, you're, you, you've already written, as you said, 5,000 words. Yep. And just, I would say, dive right into that. Get, you know, make the tension come out uh, as you start in on this, that, you know, this, this Phineas guy who's, you know, presumably, you know, he sounds like a personable guy, kind of a charming guy. He's like the, you know, the curious engineer guy. 
you know, obviously Harlegan seems to admire him. She must admire him as she goes on this whole thing to find him, right? Mm-hmm. Kind of bring that out. I know he. It, that's not easy because, of course, he's disappeared <laughs> by the time the story starts. We can do flashbacks. Um, we can do flashbacks. Yeah, yeah. And you can kind of bring out those themes uh, early on and just get that nice, meaty hook uh, right off the bat. Yes, absolutely. Oh, God. And that just sparked like 12 different things in my own brain, but I'm going <laughs> to pass the mic on to Marie. Um, building on that, uh, uh, where do you want to expand even further? Um, I love the idea that Robin has brought forward to, and, and especially the idea of character personalities and, and relationships as well. And uh, one of the things that was brought up earlier, which I'd like to unpack a bit with my, uh, with my co-hosts here, it, the relationship between Isabella and Harlequin, um, I, I think it could be something that could be hugely motivating for the reader, yes. especially because, right, you feel that like that spark that could happen between them yep. and, oh, and yeah. th- that frenemy type of thing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The hate banging. I love it. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. I don't know if you're into that, Christopher, but. Well, I hadn't considered it. Let's just. <laughs> Good man. Good man. Good answer. I'm dead. Somebody else keep going. (laughs) No, go ahead. Just because I haven't considered it doesn't mean I won't now. No, no, she she's she's lost. We're we're she's not going to be back for at least another sixty to ninety seconds. So no, those are the kind of characters that I ship. I really do. Oh God, yes. (laughs) Totally, totally. Um, And that's you know, I really, I as I as I as I said in my initial notes, I think you're you're you're. I think it was a Freudian slip to call Isabella a protag. I think I think repositioning her there uh, uh, is strong, which now kind of leaves you with a a lack of a discernible uh, antagonist uh, uh, to thwart uh, and to engage with until later on, once the mystery is resolved. So I have a suggestion. Okay. Um, Robin has already mentioned, uh, what was it again? Ex- exile Alone? Last Exile. Last Exile. Last Exile. Um, I'm going to ask, have you ever seen the, the TV show Colony? And that's going to be a no again. Okay, no, that's totally <laughs> cool. Highly recommended. Uh, basically, alien invasion. Aliens stay in orbit, and human collaborators either work with the aliens or work against them. And mm-hmm. the dynamic, you never see the freaking aliens in this show. But their presence is ubiquitous throughout, and it's it's astonishing the way that they can uh, maintain that sci-fi alien presence without us ever seeing them. Um, and you could really work that in with the shields. Yes, yes, definitely, ex- exactly. Because what you've got going on here is the dynamic is fascinating. You've got the Makaj and the Alem. Uh, as two alien races sitting here deciding humanity's fate, and clearly they disagree. Now, that implies that there is something going on beyond Earth where these aliens have a stake in what's going on and what happens with keeping the Earthlings on the frickin' ground, uh, or at least not in space. Uh, uh, Somebody clearly screwed up when they gave them airships. Because um, that's that's just a, a gateway drug to you know Apollo missions and, and stuff, um, and that you know that <laughs> maybe that's what Harlequin's parents did. 
Maybe the, the, the airship technology is still fairly, no, that's, yeah, that won't work. Maybe, but her answer, <laughs> what, the thing that I was going to suggest about Harlequin is have her be a part of, uh, associated with the rebellion. Uh, uh, there's a sense that humanity is being oppressed. Uh, other people think, no, we're not being oppressed. We're being cared for. Look at all the wonderful things the aliens bring us. Uh, uh, and and somebody else going, yep, they're freaking aliens and they're keeping us on the ground. It's bad. And, and of course, you know, again, talk about relevance in today's society. Uh, uh, the notion of do you kowtow to the people that at least mouth uh, generosity and compassion or do you fight for your freedom? Having Harlequin's parents be a part of that rebellion uh, and maybe even, you know, oh God, now I'm getting echoes of Evie in V for Vendetta. Um, but, you know, having the parents be uh, part of that rebellion, leaders of the rebellion, and she is trying to make her way in a world and just toe the damn line. And, you know, then having Isabella as a conflict character is perfect. Constantly pushing her out of her comfort zone, uh, uh, so on and so and, forth. And the disappearance of Phineas could drive her to make that choice that she's never wanted to make. Yes. Of, you know, going, of, of dipping her toe into this world. Absolutely. And and have Phineas, uh, having worked with El Isabella, you know, maybe Phineas is building a freaking star drive or, or something <laughs> uh, uh, in the world. And he needs parts. And Isabella is only too happy to rape, pillage, and plunder. Well, not rape. Uh, but pillage and plunder... Uh, <laughs> Uh, in the name of, you know, for, for money uh, uh, and also to stick it to the man. And here's Phineas saying, I'm going to stick it to the man. And she says, great. And and now you've got this bridge between Harlequin and Isabella, which is Finn, which makes me think yeah, we, need to, we need to find Finn earlier, I think. It, not necessarily literally, but in some manner that, yeah, that, yeah. that allows him to work in that function in, in the plot. Yeah. 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 And it really works, too. I like the idea wow, that yeah. both Harlequin and Isabella will have the chance to stand on their own footing. Because one of the things with the fact that before you had them butting heads is they're not necessarily looking for the same thing, right? Harlequin isn't interested in the same thing and becoming a pirate queen like Isabella, at least not no, for a little bit. No, she's kind of forced into the outlaw mode. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So she's got a purpose. She's like targeting a thing specifically. And Isabella can be even thinking like, okay, if I help her get her thing, she'll get out of my way faster too, right? Like, you know, like move on, girly. Um, yep. Yep. I think there's a lot of potential there to help them forge that friendship. That I also, said, yeah. I also like the idea of Harlequin's parents being rebels and she's trying to toe the line and having Isabella's background be very staid and and you know conventional and she's breaking out they literally become mirror characters at that point mm -hmm. yeah it's kind of it's like the godfather oh my god <laughs> Win. yeah Win. that one i actually know <laughs> you know michael never wants to be in this world but his family and you know necessity drags him in oh my god and, and the godfather was at least a trilogy so so you're, you're in christopher <laughs> I, I agree robin the That's, movies that... were a trilogy good point yes not the like book come on <laughs> you're right you're right I'm, I'm, I'm being cinematically skewed here i apologize <laughs> don't watch that third movie though seriously uh, yeah. I'm with you. I'm with you. oh god good stuff Robin, what else? Uh, I know you have other things on your list. Let's let's go down yes. at least one more before we start wrapping up. So as for uh, interactions between Harlegan and uh, I, and we are all pronouncing these <laughs> names. I love that, by the way. Yep. Um, 
we heard them once and um and just all went our separate ways we did good uh, for us <laughs> <laughs> for the you know the frenemy uh interactions between harlegan and isabella i'm gonna recommend uh, some inspiration for you megan o'keefe's scorched earth series uh, if you haven't read that christopher is just fantastic and it uh you know really has some wonderful witty charming characters who are at odds with each other um and yet have to cooperate and you know if you need some inspiration if you do decide to go down that hole that we've dug for you um <laughs> and you need some inspiration uh scorched earth by megan o'keefe okay Excellent, excellent. And uh, let's see, as for you were worried about uh, as a... White cis male. Uh, as, yeah, as a cis male <laughs> writing, uh, writing people of color with indeterminate sexualities. Um, wow, is that a rabbit hole? Um, <laughs> <laughs> so you can, you're not going to go, you know, and I'm speaking as a white transgender lady. Um, so not exactly an authority, but... But still familiar with that rabbit hole. Yeah, authority adjacent, let's put it that way. Um, (laughs) One thing is just don't think about it too much uh, on the first draft. And on the second draft, like watch for your subconscious biases. That's um, excellent advice. Good beta readers who can, you know, who can say, ooh, ow, ouch, you know, you see that, you can see that wincing and they're about to give you bad news. Pay attention to that. Yeah. Um, and pay attention to the things that they're too polite to tell you. Um, <laughs> because nobody wants to be called a racist, right? But, yeah. you know, white people we are you know we're raised in this world where we have these you know these biases that you know you've got to pay attention so and you've got to own it and and listen you know that's inspired advice robin because you point out that a book experience is experienced and written in a continuum yes you don't have to be right the first freaking time Yes, you're modern. Yeah, your first draft can be racist (laughs) as long as your final draft is not. Um, Not that we're advocating that, but yes, that's that's ultimately what we're saying. And then, you know, the the final, you know, leg of that long bit of advice is if it does, you know, if if after you're published, other people who weren't your beta readers are like, oh, this is kind of racist. Don't throw your beta readers under the bus, please. Don't Mm. hide behind. Oh, no. Yeah. Just own it and be like, ooh, I did screw up here. I am so sorry. (laughs) You know, just just be... (laughs) listen you know that is the that is the number one thing listen yes absolutely and then that's really kind of the 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 key to to all of the a lot of the the challenges that we were confronted with as far as uh intolerance and and uh, perception is is being able to listen and unlock those perceptions a bit marie Mm -hmm. is there is there anything else on your actually let me turn it to you christopher we're running out of time here is there anything else you want us to dive into or or attune our laser sharp brainstorming weapons upon uh uh to 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 help you in some way uh i've gotten so stinking much i'm i guess one thing we never dealt with was you were wondering about intimately and the parents being intimately involved with some of the secrets mm-hmm. um in my mind, and it did not make it into the pitch because it didn't matter, but in my mind, the dad is actually one of the wastelanders in which there is that institutional bias. Ooh. 
Okay. Um, she doesn't know it, but she's part Wastelander, and I want her to discover that during the um, first run. <gasps> oh, I like that. <laughs> yeah, me too. Yes. Me too. That's that's working it. Again, yes. and, and it chips away at that at that yes. cultured veneer. Uh, yeah, that's nice. Yeah, people like- people discover that, and it's like the one drop rule, right? You know, suddenly yep. mm-hmm. she realizes that she is part of this group, and other people may realize it too and treat her very differently mm-hmm. yeah i like that you're not elevating her to like jedi status by <laughs> well, no, that background. Was actually, you're like yeah that was one of my ways to try and put a chink in that armor is for her to yes. realize oh crap society's not going to like this mm-hmm. and there is that danger of it getting out and do you tell people and just you know accept that discrimination or do you hide it and you know hide behind the you know passing privilege oh i love it yeah. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot to unpack in there. Yep. Agreed. Agreed. I just real quick question, Christopher. I should have asked this back yeah. at the beginning of the freaking brainstorm. Um, <laughs> are, are the humans aware of the Makaj and the Alem among them? Um, nobody is actually aware of that. This invasion happened so long ago that Atlantis is simply a legend. Okay. A myth. And, um, and the, the shields cr- are human or shields are a human police force. Okay. Um, there is a background group I'm calling the Death Lords or Death Lords that are like shields that are in the know, and they do the specific. Ah. They do some of the specific negative work, um, but the crazies or the ESP users are the only ones that have any indication that these aliens even exist because they use a technology I've called psionic cloaking, and the ESP users can see through it. They just can't really always interpret what they see. Mm. Okay. Which, which which makes me think like there, there might be a device somewhere that can impart that same decloaking uh, uh, effect that would be a, a part of your end game of you know exposing uh, uh, the macage and the LM uh, and their interference with humanity because that 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 to me I mean if this is that. too much I can absolutely back off on some of this but no I think more <laughs> well, hey, sequels and prequels man yeah, yeah exactly yeah. I'm, I'm trying to decide between the value of pushing back the reveal of the macage and the LM uh, to later in the book the value uh, of that impact along uh, against the value of having them exposed or at least uh, uh, a broader and more accepted segment of society that rebellion thing that I was advocating. Uh, yeah. uh, and and maybe the rebellion doesn't realize why they're a rebellion. Maybe the the rebellion is led by somebody who who knows what's going on, and they're not telling anyone. They're fabricating political reasons to rebel. Uh, uh, but their lieutenants, you know, maybe he's a failed death lord or or a disillusioned death lord who is trying to strike out against them. I don't know. Maybe that was his dad, her dad. I don't know. Holy crap! There's well, so much. Yeah, and even and if I go with the rebellion possibility, it's also possible that they've been rebelling for. Because I imagine this this story taking place at least uh, you know twenty fifty thousand years after the invasion. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so it could even be a case where it has been handed down from leader to leader in the rebellion. So they know they're rebelling, but they've got some really twisted freaking ideas on why. Mm-hmm. It's like yeah, game of telephone. Yeah. Okay. Okay, guys. I'm. I'm. We, we could do this all freaking day. Um, and and it, I can come back. I know. I know, right? Uh, uh, I'm. I'm actually. I'm gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna play the dad here, and I'm gonna say, let's 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 take this home, kids. 
Um, let's let's move into that final <laughs> stage of, of the brainstorm where we do one more once around the table uh, uh, and impart some wisdom to Christopher, some ideas that you couldn't get out in the brainstorm, some other stuff that just occurred to you or whatever. Uh, uh, but, but fill his pockets with some literary gold so he can go off and write this thing. Robin, we will lead off with you, ma'am. Uh, uh, final thoughts for Master Christopher. So my number one piece of advice is uh, have a bailout point uh, because you know this is the this is a, this is the word count issue again. Uh, your debut novel, the first novel you sell, is going to have to be within a certain word count range for your particular sub subgenre, which I believe for you know kind of the steampunk SF, eighty to one hundred thousand words I think is is. Uh, is the most sellable, most marketable. Okay. Um, have a plan to keep it in there if you find that your first draft is 150,000 words. Uh, either by having a point in the middle that can be curved into a complete and satisfying plot arc, um, or by just, you know, dropping some characters and inserting some plot devices to substitute for them. Uh, and then you can go back to those people in the sequel, of course. <laughs> it's like not it. lost. It's just set aside. I like it. I like it. <laughs> Have a plan. Have a plan. Have a plan. Have, be, be prepared for pulling the ripcord. Yes. <laughs> Marie, what about you? Final thoughts for Master Christopher? Yeah, I think I definitely agree uh, and echo some of those sentiments as you have an embarrassment of coolness, which is good. <laughs> it's, it's a good embarrassment to have. Um, but remember at the heart, what try to keep in mind what your reader will really love. And I think that at the beginning of it is the stuff that we all fell in love with with your pitch is the characters. They're strong. They're, they already shine through even just a little description like you gave us. So keep in mind that the characters are really cool and the world is super cool. And then you might need to just cut some of the, the, the massiveness of them. You might need to cut some of them out just to make it all fit. And I think for the world, when it comes to the plot, if you keep focused, you will be able to attain that 80 to 100,000 words, which are very wise <laughs> words uh, as you go forward. But, but, but give us those character moments, because I think that's really where your book will shine. And it will shine amidst all of this fun coolness. Agreed. Absolutely agreed. Wow. And I, it's interesting Christopher, because I have a, a, a suggestion as far as the packaging of the story as well. You know, really, I think that's a testament to the story pitch that you presented and the conception that you're evolving uh, is that, you know, we have confidence that the story itself and the characters and the stuff that we threw down in the brainstorm, that that that's that's going to be catalyst enough for you to take your already inherent writerly awesomeness and transform or continue down this path. Uh, so that that right there, I just want to affirm that you you've got a winner here, as, as Robin yes. said right off the bat. I'm, I'm going to actually suggest uh, an alternative structure. If you can parse this out into novellas. Uh, if you can find smaller no. stories uh, and then because what you've got here, you have so many reveals, so many bam, 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 explosions uh, of, of stories, pivots and revelations and so on. You could actually parse those out across multiple novellas and create this layered revelation of, you know, right off the bat, it's steampunk. 
And then at the end, we discover at the first one, it's like, oh, well, no, it's not steampunk because look, there's an AI or a computer circuit board. What the hell's going on here? Uh, revelation. Ooh, now we go on to the next one. Ooh, rev- aliens? What? And then keep him, bam, bam, and just keep expanding there. So that's another way to literally engage in a multifaceted this is the aspect of the story and the characters I want to explore here and then evolve it forward from there I would even advocate that this could actually be something very cool for Serial Box are you familiar with them? I've heard ads on a couple other podcasts but okay Uh, Serial Box basically takes the idea of a story world a written story world where each writing thing is like an episode So you have a persistent universe. You have an overarching story arc. You have persistent characters with with arcs that spread across multiple stories. But each story is a separate, distinct element. And they tend to be long, short stories or short novellas. Um, So you end up with a season of uh, the one I read was Max Gladstone's Book Burners, which was freaking brilliant uh, and awesome. Something else, another another format you might contemplate or explore. So, wow. Okay. Christopher, here's the deal, all right? In the, in the past, when this was the Roundtable podcast, we, 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 we dangled the carrot of knighthood in front of you and say, yes, if you publish this, we'll have you back and knight you. And that was awesome. I will grant you, the knighting ceremonies that we did were badass. Um, but uh, in in this modern age of, of sponsored, <laughs> sponsored <laughs> podcasts and so on, um, I, I want to give you a much more tangible leg up into the world. Uh, and that is I want to give you a free one-year subscription to Archivos so you can start documenting all of this wonderful backstory, all of these fabulous characters and the relationships between all of them in a tangible way. So maybe those little plastic sticky things that you put on your research you can translate them into archivos and and have it be available to you digitally you down with that sir oh absolutely thank you awesome you bet absolutely and and robin just so you know uh, uh you're going to receive a coupon for a free year of archivos as well not Woo-hoo! that I'm casting aspersions <laughs> on the the plastic tabs <laughs> that stick on paper things uh, uh, but this might actually expand or, or refine that already seasoned tried and true technology you are going to drag me kicking and screaming into the 21st century and thank you for that <laughs> <laughs> bless you bless Absolutely. you good sir we live in service to the storytellers of the world it's the least we can do so wow okay Christopher that was a brilliant brainstorm uh, uh, incredible amount of fun really good story man thank you for stepping up and, and making that possible brother oh thanks for having me this was even more brain explosion than I expected <laughs> we, we defy expectation here at the Archivos Podcast Network absolutely absolutely glad to do it man glad to do it and and Robin th- this is why we bring uh, uh, the seasoned veterans into the brainstorming arena your your perceptions your experiences your savvy uh, uh, both scientifically and literarily which is not a word but I'm going to roll with it uh, uh, were, were welcome and much appreciated and, and Clearly, you were digging it as much as we were. I really was. <laughs> so thank you so much. Thank yes, you. Yes, thank you for coming. This was so much fun. <laughs> it really was. I'm, I'm glad you enjoyed it because we <laughs> sure did. Marie, as always, a pleasure to trod the storyboards with you uh, once again. Uh, it has been too long. Uh, let us let us not let so much time pass between having you here in the co-host chair, ma'am. I completely agree. I absolutely loved it. Thank you so much. And yep. this was brilliant. I, I had such a great time. This is a great way to start off the weekend. My <laughs> it really is. 
And friends, as long as we're doling out the glad the gratitude, yes, it was gratitude and gratitude. <laughs> Thank We've you. We've invented so many words. I love it. It's kind of my thing. It's kind of what I do. I'm I'm, I'm here to put Webster's out of business. Uh, <laughs> uh, thank you, friends, for hitting that play button. Um, without you, we're just four people in a Google Hangouts talking story, which is awesome. But when you hit that play button, you catch the spark that we all felt. You catch the the catalyzing imaginative flow, and now you're saying, "I gotta write a story." Oh my god! If you're if you're feeling that fire, that love, please feel free to spread the word about the Archivos Podcast Network and our sponsor, the Archivos Story Development and Presentation Tool. Not not enough people know about either and you can really really help with that so awesome god i'm why did i wear flannel into the studio that's so stupid because i'm sweating like a pig i always do i'm exhausted um but friends here's the thing in in two weeks you work for the wool industry i know right uh, it's i must have stock somewhere on a subconscious level with that that's just crazy um, in two weeks, friends, I will have wrung out my flannel, taken a shower, and we're going to do this again. We're going to bring another guest host to pour wisdom in our ears, another courageous guest writer to, to launch us into a brainstorm froth, more Archivos Podcast Network goodness to be had by all. But that's, holy crap, 14 days, and I know that's a long time. Marie, help our friends out. What can they do to make that time productive, effective, and, and just fly by? You know what? It's it might be a quick duty for some of you, but I think some of you will be harder. But I was inspired by something that Robin said, and I'm going to suggest that everybody look at their work in progress right now, which is probably a novel, and or it's not yet, and it will grow into that. Um, and think of what is that one sentence that describes my novel in a way that hooks the reader right away, or the agent, or the publisher. So what is that one sentence? Have some fun, play with it, have an elevator pitch, develop it in the next. 14 days. Nice. Excellent. And then I will expand on that even and say, develop two or even three and look at it from different character perspectives, different story perspectives and see what a different voice or inflection in your pitch does for the perception of the story. That's a great idea. I love that. And we just like, yeah, look at us go. We're rocking. (laughs) We got this. (laughs) this It's not our first barbecue. We're totally not wearing flannel and too hot we're fine (laughs) we would never do that because that would be stupid (laughs) friends i will tell you as i always do you find what you're looking for so look for that top shelf blue label goodness look for that lost christmas present at the back of the christmas tree look for the awesomeness in the world and you will find it we will see you in 14 days i swear on my heart it will happen until then you guys stay cool stay frothy and stay awesome and we will talk to you soon bye-bye This episode of Archivos Brainstorms is copyright 2017 by WonderThing Studios and is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial Sharealike 4.0 International License. To find out what that means and how you can use this content in your own presentations, visit www.creativecommons.org. Theme music for this episode of Archivos Brainstorms was performed by the Hepcats of Brotown. Gary Gold, David LaBroyere, Billy Nobel, 
and Matt O'Donnell. If you would like to be a guest writer or guest host, join in on the conversation, or just learn more about the Archivos Podcast Network, visit our website at www.archivos.digital and click the podcast link. That's A-R-C-H-I-V-O-S dot digital. We're also on Facebook at facebook.com slash Archivos Podcast and on Twitter at Writers Podcast. And you can always email us at podcast at archivos.digital. Thanks for listening.